0: Good morning. We continue today um, in the Beatitudes. We were there last week, and I believe we will be next week as well. And I have to say that uh, as I've been reading through and as I listen to that text being read just now, I can't help but uh, think to myself uh, that uh, this all sounds rather inconvenient, to how I'd like to live my life or how I'd like to organize my life. It's, 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 it's a little bit outside of what I might uh, naturally want to live my life in ways that I'd want to live my life. And, and I, I think uh, the, the header to that section, it makes me think the header to that section shouldn't really be the Beatitudes, right? It kind of should be something like brace yourselves, maybe. That might be a good, or, or if you're kind of old school, you want the King James Version, brace thyselves, right? Something like that. I don't know if the Beatitudes really does it justice, but all the same, that's the header that most of our Bibles give it. And so we, we got to ask ourselves, what is Jesus really saying in this text? Is Jesus really saying that we must hunger and thirst and mourn for righteousness? Is Jesus really saying that we must be poor in spirit and meek? Is Jesus really saying that we must be merciful and that we must be peacemakers? Must we be all of these things in order to please God? We have to ask ourselves that question. And so uh, I want to invite you to ask yourself, is my life pleasing to God? Let's imagine for a moment that We've just received notice that in a few days we're going to get a, a heavenly report card, if you will. right? And this report card's going to tell us whether or not we're pleasing God, and if so, if we're doing it well or not. And it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to list all kinds of things. And so I want you just to just imagine what that report card might look like. Uh, imagine uh, what that report card might say. Imagine whether or not that report card is something that you would want to share with your friends, or maybe that report card something that you might be a little bit ashamed of. Consider that for a moment, what that might look like, what that might feel like to receive that report. I don't know about you, but asking all these questions leaves me feeling a little bit overwhelmed, leaves me feeling a little bit like, man, this stuff is impossible. This, this bar that's being set is impossible to reach. And believe it or not, we're about to see how Jesus is actually raising that bar. Jesus, Jesus is getting ready to raise the bar on the law and to change how we see and understand things in the next few chapters of the gospel of Matthew, the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. And so I encourage you to spend some time this week going and reading going and reading the, the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's good stuff to read. It's good stuff to be aware of and to know where we are and what all this new law, what all this new law means. So I, I, wanna, I want to invite you for a second to think about the last time that you, either on your phone or on a tablet or on your computer, maybe downloaded a new app or got a new operating system from your phone. We all know this process. Or maybe the last time you went to the store and you purchased something, you bought something, Uh, to which there was this set of terms and conditions, right? We're all familiar with the set of terms and conditions, right? It's this usually really long, ridiculously long legalese document that talks about all the stuff that we have to do or all the stuff we have to give up, all the rights we have to surrender in order to use a thing, right? All all the the things we must agree to in, in order to use this thing, in order to use this app or this product or this operating system that we want to use. So by a show of hands... Uh, I want you to show me or to tell me who all, when encountered with such a document the last time, read it. I was prepared for this. Because, truthfully, had anybody raised your hand, I was going to say, honestly, I I don't believe you. Because nobody does. Nobody does. So good on you. You're all righteous. Uh, Nobody... Nobody believes or nobody reads this stuff, right? It's long, it's boring, it doesn't really apply. We're going to agree to it anyway because we need to use whatever it is we're trying to get, right? Nobody reads the terms and conditions. And the truth is that there are plenty of cautionary tales out there in the world that should at least scare us into reading these terms and conditions, at least perusing them to some degree to understand what all it is that we're agreeing to, but still we usually don't. We operate from this place of ignorance that has at least the smell of, the feeling of being blissful, and maybe it is for a time. But the truth is is that this is a very dangerous place to be, to agree to terms and conditions that you don't know, that you don't understand, that you have not read through. Now here's the rub, and maybe this is good news for you. Maybe this isn't good news for you. You'll have to decide for yourselves. But these Beatitudes that we read last week and that we read today, these Beatitudes are not orders. These Beatitudes are not ethical imperatives. These Beatitudes are not directives on which to live and organize your life. That's not what these Beatitudes are. If you can, indulge me, if you can, think of these Beatitudes As a set of terms and conditions to the law that Jesus is preparing to give us in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So you have the Beatitudes, which are the terms and conditions, all of the things we must agree to, all the things that we have to agree to surrender our rights and things, and all the things that we have to agree to allow the law to do in our lives. And then you have Jesus who is giving us this new law in the Sermon on the Mount. The new law being the thing that we are agreeing to the terms of. The Beatitudes, or terms of terms and conditions, set the basis and context for which to understand this new law. And we're going to dive a little deeper into what that means and how that works in a second. But for a moment, I want to pause and, and, and look a little bit back at last week. So last week, again, we were in the same text. And Bailey described the reign of God that is here and now, though it is often hidden to our world. Jesus' disciples, that is, uh, all of his disciples, us included, are blessed because this kingdom will someday be known by all. And if you were here and you heard that sermon and you're like, man, that was a really good overview of what Bailey talked about. It's because he wrote it, and it's actually in your bulletin. So if you're wondering, what did we talk about last week? That little blurb, almost verbatim, is in your bulletin. And so Bailey laid the groundwork for helping us to understand uh, the kingdom of God that is, and is to come, and also laid the ground up, groundwork for helping us to understand how Jesus is being presented to us in this text as the new Moses, right? In the Old Testament, you have Moses goes up on the mountain, receives the law, comes back down, delivers it to the people, and Jesus, we see here, goes up on a mountain, probably more like a hill, but all the same, it works, and he's delivering the new law. Jesus, the new Moses, is delivering the new law. So this is all really good and important stuff, so I want to encourage you, if you uh, didn't get a chance to hear last week's sermons, there's, sermon, there's a place to go find that, both on our website or anywhere you listen to podcasts. There's information in your bulletin on how to find that, how to get a hold of it, but it's a good context for us to have as we jump into where we're going today. So again, you have Jesus giving us the new law and the beatitudes that serve as the terms and conditions of the new law. So as we're getting into this, we, we, we're trying to understand these terms and conditions so that we can properly understand this new law. We have to ask ourselves, who is Jesus talking to? And it turns out, Jesus is talking to a pretty broad group of folks. Jesus is talking to pretty much everyone, but we're going to talk specifically about who these people are. First of all, you have Jesus speaking to this, these first century people, right? Specifically in this context, for the first century Jewish people, first century Jewish culture, Jewish people living under Roman rule. Secondly, you have this 21st century American culture. That's us, right? This 21st century American culture, really this 21st century global culture, right? Anyone who has access to this text, that's who Jesus is talking to. But third, Jesus is talking to this specific portion of that broad group of people. Jesus is talking to first century people, 21st century people, and everyone in between who understands these things. The sacrifice of the cross, The death and resurrection of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven that is and is to come. We must understand that Jesus is speaking to all people across all times who have the opportunity to know him and to understand the implications of his death, resurrection, and his second coming. So now that we have a little bit better of an understanding of who Jesus is speaking to here specifically, we ask ourselves, what exactly does the new law say? And this is a question that we may regret asking ourselves in a few minutes, but we're going to ask it anyway. What does this new law say? Jesus tells us, In Matthew 5 17, that he has come to fulfill the law. I've not come to abolish, but I've come to fulfill the law. And some commenters, when they're talking about this entire section of scripture, say that Jesus is doing more than that. We talked about how he's raising the bar. They say Jesus is intensifying the law. And there's a lot of examples throughout the Sermon on the Mount where we can see how Jesus is intensifying the law. We're gonna look at a couple. First, you have anger. Anger under the new law is akin to murder under the old law. And we read about this. In Matthew 5, 21 and 22, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And in a similar way, we read about lust in this new law. Lust is akin to adultery in the old law. We read about that in verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so there are lots of examples throughout the Sermon on the Mount, throughout this new law, uh, that go like this. And it covers a broad spectrum of issues from divorce, oaths, retaliation, love of your enemy, proper almsgiving, prayer, fasting, our treasures, judgment of others, false prophets, and of course, the secular world's favorite export of Scripture, the golden rule. These fine print issues of the new law, these fine print issues are quite extensive. So I don't know about you, but earlier when we talked about, uh, you know, whether or not our life is pleasing to God and what that report card might look like, those feelings of being overwhelmed and those feelings of, of like, man, this is impossible. Some of those things are starting to come back as we talk about all this stuff, right? Those feelings are welling up in me because this stuff is heavy. It's real. How do we begin to understand this new, fulfilled, intensified law that Jesus has given us. Well, in order to help us out, we're going to go back to those terms and conditions. We're going to go back to the Beatitudes. So uh, in order to do that, I want to offer to you, uh, for your consideration, a a, a fresh view of what the Beatitudes could look like or sound like. We'll call this, for today's purposes, the Augie Standard Version translation of the Beatitudes. And so we're going to start in verse 1, and we read, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Trust me, you will inherit the kingdom when you are poor in spirit, because I am blessing you. Trust me, you will be comforted when you mourn, because I am blessing you. Trust me, you will inherit the earth when you are meek, because I am blessing you. Trust me, you will be filled when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, because I am blessing you. Trust me, you will receive mercy when you are merciful because I am blessing you. Trust me, you will see God when you are pure in heart because I am blessing you. Trust me, you will be called children of God when you make peace because I am blessing you. Trust me, you will receive the kingdom of heaven when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake because I am blessing you. Trust me, rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, because I am blessing you. You see, church, these beatitudes are the hinge. They're the, they're the, the centerpiece. They're the hinge on which Jesus is connecting this old law that Moses gave us to the new law that Jesus is getting ready to give us. These beatitudes are the hinge that connect the old covenant to the new covenant that Jesus is getting ready to establish with his people. These beatitudes are the hinge on which Jesus is literally taking us by the hand from these first century Jewish ethics to the ethics of the kingdom of God, where Jesus is taking us by the hand from our 21st century American ethics to the ethics of the kingdom of God. These terms and conditions go against the very nature of our culture, a culture that places its value in temporal things, its value in things of this world and things of the flesh, a a culture that places its value in things that have no value in the kingdom of God, a culture that at times places its value in my truth or in your truth over absolute truth or kingdom truth. A culture that places its value in boundaries, uh, whether those boundaries are literal or relational. A culture that places its value in boundaries over mercy and love. A culture that places its value in greed and gluttony, the collection of things, the desire to accumulate things over humility and holiness. A culture that places its value in my feelings or your feelings over God's lordship over your life. A culture that places its value in my identity for myself or in your identity for yourself over the identity that God is giving you, the identity that God is speaking into your life. We live in a culture that places its value in my desires and your desires over the sanctification that God is calling us to. Jesus is asking us, Jesus is asking us to agree to terms and conditions that completely change the way that we see, understand, and function in our world. You see, church, when the desire to please God becomes our motivator, we miss the point. Pleasing God is a good thing. That's What we are made to do, we are creatures that are built for the very purpose of pleasing God. But trusting God is how we get there. When we place our trust in God, He then empowers us to live a Christ-filled and Christ-centered life. If the end of your life is to please God, then the means by which you please God is by placing your faith and trust in Him completely. God made you for this purpose, but you can't do it on your own. You must submit your life to His will for you. You must place your trust and faith in Him completely. And we read about this in Hebrews 11, verse 6. We read, "...and without faith," that is, trust, it is impossible to please God for whoever would approach Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards, that He is blessing those who seek Him. We must place our faith and trust in God. And we also read in Romans 8, 6-8, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul is telling us there that the mind that is set on the flesh does not submit to God's law, and furthermore, it cannot please God. You see, if we lean lean into our own human strength and our own human will to live up to, to live into God's law and God's standard and God's call on our life, we will fall short. And those same feelings that we talked about earlier when we were talking about that report card of being overwhelmed and not being able to get to this impossible mark, those feelings will never go away. Those feelings will never leave you because we can't do it on our own strength. If the end of your life is to please God, then the means by which you please God is by placing your faith and trust in Him completely. You see, church, Jesus, when he goes up on this mount to, to deliver this new law, he knows that what he's about to give us is challenging. He knows that what he's about to call us to is exceedingly difficult. And so he starts out by giving us this set of terms and conditions by which to understand and to operate. And in these beatitudes, in these terms and conditions, Jesus is really saying, trust me. (laughs) Trust me. When all seems lost, when your world seems upside down, when you're hurting, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you feel like giving up, when you want to give up, when you feel like you're not enough, in these moments, place your faith and trust in me because I am blessing you. These terms and conditions... They are a call to faith and trust in God. These Beatitudes are a call to simply abide in God's unending love for us. And so, church, I leave you with this. I want to ask you, I want to challenge you rather than what if rather than trying to please God to live up to the to live up and try to live up to the standards of Christian ethics or a Christian moral to-do list, right? We've all had these in our head. I went to church. I was nice to that person. I gave to that thing, and I went and helped out at that thing, and ooh, I'm missing one in row B, but I'll get there next week, right? Rather than trying to live up to this Christian box-checking moral ethic, what if we simply place our trust in God? What if we simply agree to these terms and conditions that we've been given and become complicit in the work that God is already doing in us and through us? Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you because we know that your mercy and love have no end. We know, God, that you are indeed blessing us, that you have made us for this purpose of glorifying you, of pleasing you, of bringing you glory in all that we do. But we also know, God, that we need your help. We can't do it on our own. We're not capable of living up to the call that you have on our our life, on our own strength alone. And so we pray that you would give us a heart to place our trust in you. We pray, God, that you would show us how you're calling us to love one another and to be your love in the world. We thank you, God, because we know that you're faithful in all these things. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.